Hello, my lovely people, and welcome back to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. So this week, we will be talking about We're Off to Kill the Wizard, first aired December 9th, 1984, season one, episode nine. IMDb summary reads, Jessica gets mixed up with a nasty scheme involving a theme park creator whilst visiting relatives. We're in for a doozy this time. (laughs) So first, let's talk about Jessica's family tree. We have another branch. Um, In this episode, we meet Carol Donovan, who is Jessica's niece. We do not know whether... She is the daughter of one of Jessica's brothers, or if she is the daughter of one of Frank's sisters or brothers. So, but Carol is married to Bert Donovan, who is a detective, I believe a detective lieutenant uh, in the police department in California where they are visiting. So let's get right into this. (laughs) So we open up in a limo. And there is a man on a car phone talking to someone. We don't know who he is just yet. And he's saying that he's going to do whatever it takes to convince Jessica um, to work with them. So suspenseful, right? Uh, Very, uh, well, I won't say unsettling. He's in a suit. He's in the back of a limo, gives a little bit of a gangster vibe. So a tiny bit concerned for Jessica. But he pulls up to the house where Jessica is fixing a bike. This is Billy, her niece's son, his bike. And for those of you who noticed, uh, the actor's name is Leaf Phoenix, currently known as Joaquin Phoenix. Not to mention that the little girl, Sally, I'm sorry, Cindy, is credited as Summer Phoenix, who is in real life Joaquin Phoenix's sister. So a nice little um, piece of info. But the funny thing is when I was watching this, not this time, but maybe one or two times before I watched this episode a lot. Okay. (laughs) It's on the DVR. Um, The mother, uh, Carol Donovan, the Jessica's niece, looked like the mother of these two children. I don't know the coloring, her eyes, just she looked like their actual mother or another relative. She is not, this is how I found out that uh, Billy is Joaquin Phoenix and that Cindy is Summer Phoenix. Um, but the woman who plays Carol uh, is not in fact related to the Phoenix. Is. Anyway, so uh, Jessica fixes the bike. Billy's super excited. And uh, uh, Carol comes out and says, oh, well, thank you, because Bert was getting ready to junk that old bike. Jessica's like, oh, should I not have fixed it? And of course, her niece is like, no, it's obviously because it saved them a bunch of money. And Billy is perfectly happy with the bike he has. So as they're standing there, um, the limo pulls up 
and the man who was sitting in the back comes out. He buttons his suit jacket, very formal. And he says, uh, Jessica Fletcher. She's like, yeah, <laughs> so who are you and how did you find me here? And um, she said that, uh, sorry, he introduces himself as Michael Gardner and that he works for Horatio Baldwin, who just found out that she was in town and is really dying to meet her. So to this, Billy says, horrible Horatio? And he does it so perfectly for a 1980s, 1990s kid in any type of TV show, just giving it 110%. Um, and so uh, Michael says, yes, uh, that that is him. And actually, he's opening up a new theme park in town, and he would love for you, all of you, to come and, and see it so that you can meet him. To which uh, Billy says, oh, we have to do that. And Summer says, I want to, I'm <laughs> using her real name, Cindy, says, I want to go too. To which <laughs> Jessica looks at their mom and she's like, okay, like, if that's going to keep these kids quiet, I guess. And it's free. Let's go. <laughs> she's like, let's get in the car. Let's go. There's no arguing with this. So the next scene, we see that um, we're at the theme park. It is a medieval castle. And there is a... Um, I don't even know what the word is for that setup, but uh, a man is uh, being proclaimed that they are going to hang him. And he's like, please, no, it's a misunderstanding. Please don't, please don't. And then some hero comes flying in on a, a zip line situation, right? And he's like, I'll save you. And so there's some fighting. And then of course, the hero accidentally falls back and hits the switch, uh, the man who was in the robe to be hanged, um, he falls and they're like, oh no, does someone have a knife? Oh, this is horrible. So Carol just looks away in disgust. Like, <laughs> what is actually happening at this theme park? There are children here. And then suddenly you hear the voice like, oh, don't be concerned. I'm fine. I hope I didn't scare you too much. Uh, have a great time. The park is open, right? So uh, apparently the person who we find out is horrible Horatio uh, has actually just dropped through the floor and ran around and up some stairs and was now at the top of the castle. So uh, Michael comes up to Jessica, Carol, and the kids. And it's like, oh, what did you think of it? And Jessica was like, uh, that was disturbing. Like, I did not like that at all. So uh, he's like, well, um, Mr. Baldwin will meet with you now. And I'll get your niece and the kids set up to go see the rest of the park. So um, I, I agree. That was a lot. And especially if this theme, there are children there. And the theme park is, as we learn, geared towards children. This ain't your Disney World. Trust and believe, okay? <laughs> so now we're open, we see an elevator opening and it's Jessica and horrible Horatio. And 
she <laughs> he said, thank you for agreeing to meet me. And she said, well, I had two loaded children pointed at my head, which I think is completely true and hilarious. Um, because yeah, she would have looked terrible. She was like, no, I'm not going. I don't care what you kids want to do. <laughs> it's like, even though she just wants to finish her trip and go home, because that was the other thing. Carol was trying to get her to stay a little bit longer and Jessica being the consummate, uh, perfect house guest was like, listen, house guests are like Haley's comment. Um, rarely seen, seldom seen, um, and often enjoyed something to that effect. But basically the less time I'm here, the more you'll enjoy me while I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Not staying, overstaying my welcome. So then they're walking down the hallway and, um, they bump into Neil's Highlander which he does not look like a Niels Highlander at all, but that is some name, not even going to lie. So he is obviously, um, I'm guessing the head of safety. And he said, we have to take care of uh, these safety violations before we open because my name, Niels Highlander, <laughs> is going on these. And to be 100% honest, yes. That should be the top priority when opening up a theme park, besides the fact that anybody is getting on rides, but especially because children are going to be getting on these rides, it's clearly not a priority to horrible Horatio, and I'm sure that's part of getting his name, <laughs> but thankfully there is someone who is not willing to just slap some stuff together so that they can start making money. He wants to make sure that people are safe. If the, if his name is on it saying that he put this ride together, that it is safe. So I 100% agree with him. And I would be angry too. Like I will not be ignored because this is extremely important. So Horatio like rushes him off and is like, oh, it's nothing worse than a bullheaded Swede. I'm like, no, there's nothing worse than an owner of a property who is not willing to follow safety standards. But that's just my opinion. Anyway, so they continue to walk down the hallway and before they enter the, the Horatio's office suite, so not directly in his office yet, and we'll see, but the office suite Jessica says, are you going to offer me a job? Like, honestly, let's get to the point. And Horrible Horatio says, okay, bear with me because this is all the way disturbing, just to be honest. He says, permit me the seduction before you cry rape. Like, are we even serious? I know this is 1984, but whoever wrote that really should have been punched in the throat. I'm just, I am just saying this was completely inappropriate, uh, period. So anyway, so I'm, I'm just going to leave that there. I'm going to leave that there. So now we walk into the office and it's his secretary space, right? And the waiting area, I guess, to get into his office. And his secretary is there. And we learn that she is Lori Bascom and he is very condescending to her. She seems very meek and mild. 
Uh, so she's like, oh, you know, Mr. Baldwin, you got a call from Mr. Carlson. He said it was very important. To which horrible Horatio is like, I'll determine what's important or not. Like, sir, calm down. You may not think it's important, but obviously Carlson thinks it is. I am just relaying the message. She she must be, she's obviously used to this because she was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and then Jessica sees her book. Now, I had to rewind and stop to read the title. So this book is Dur- yeah, Dirge for a Dead Dash Hound. A, try to say that three times fast. Two, I wonder if this book is about It's a Dog's Life. Now, in It's a Dog's Life, the dog does not die, nor are any horses harmed in the filming of it. But uh, perhaps it's about that. Even though I think that dog was a beagle. But um, I'm wondering, I'm wondering. Anyway, so she says, oh, that looks familiar. And she says, oh, yes, it's wonderful. Uh, I'm trying to write... I'm also trying to write my own book, but it's very hard work. And so Jessica says, yes, she says deadly, something to that effect, (laughs) dreadful. She said dreadful. And so she was like, oh, you know, do you want me to autograph? She was like, oh, that would be so great. And of course, like Horatio is throwing like a hissy fit over there by his door. Like, I believe that can wait till later. To which Jessica says, yeah, no, it can't. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> and sign gives a wink to Lori, who's just like, let me look down. I don't want to get in trouble with horrible Horatio. Uh, so Jessica signs the book. And I think, I think this was twofold on her part. One, because she was telling him, I'm not doing this on your timeline, okay? You brought me down here. I wasted my time. I had other stuff that I could be doing, but I came down here and you're not going to rush me. I'm not going to be um, rude to a fan of mine, okay? Thank you. So <laughs> you obviously don't know who I am, but two... I think that Jessica knew that she was going to say no to whatever offer he was going to make and immediately leave the office. So she would not have had time to then after that exchange, stop and sign the book, uh, autograph her, her novel for Lori. So I think it was twofold. To stick it to Horatio, well, for being condescending to Lori just in general, in front of her. And two, because she knew she wasn't going to stay in that office long and did not want to be hung up after she told that man no. Okay. <laughs> so then uh, we see the next scene is also still down in their uh, bunker <laughs> of an office set of offices. I don't know. I think I want to say on the prime video version, I think he says, I think Horatio tell, says how far underground they are, 
But on the TV version, I don't think they say. So I don't know how many stories under the ground they are, but I think it's a lot. Um, plus it's reinforced for sound and all of that because he doesn't want people stealing his proprietary ideas, which are actually his employees' ideas, but you know, whatever. So we see uh, Phil Carlson, who was the one who had left the message for him to be called, and Arnold Megram walks in. Now we saw him briefly earlier when he was looking out of his office door office door with his name on it, um, that now he's over in Carlson's office and he's saying, he's very upset and nervous. He's like, she's here. She's really here. Speaking about Jessica. It's like that. You know what that means? That means more parks. That means more falsifying documents. That means more falsifying permits. Um, and so, uh, and falsified accounts. And so, uh, Carlson's like, well, if you don't like it, quit you know and he's clearly I'm guessing he's an architect or something he seems to be he's using a drawing table appears to be making maybe blueprints or something um and to which Arnold says you know neither of us can quit and we find out why soon and um Carlson says well why would I quit He's making, the old man is making me um, vice president. He's announcing it tomorrow. To which um, Arnold was like, oh, just like he did, he promised me two years ago and then snatched it and then changed his mind. Yeah, he'll do the same thing to you. And Arnold walks out and uh, Phil, I'm going to call him Carlson. Okay. So (laughs) Carlson is like, he's started, he's staring off in the corner and he's really thinking about what Arnold said, because I'm sure Arnold is not the only person that he did this to that Carlson has seen him do this to. So I think that this is really causing Carlson to think uh, about his future in the company. So now, now we're back in Horatio's office and we come right in to Jessica saying, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> and, and Horatio's like, how dare you say no to me? A uh, horrible Horatio. So she, he was like, just imagine it, a mansion of murder and mayhem. Every, he goes on and on. Like, I didn't write all that down. But Jessica's like, uh, the, and then he says, the kids will love it. To which Jessica is completely appalled, and I agree, because uh, he was talking about bloodbath and all of this stuff. So uh, Jessica says, "Oh, I'm sorry." And Horatio, Jessica's like, "No, I, I'm not about that." And Horatio then responds, "Well, I've read your books, uh, Mrs. Fletcher, and we're in the same business," and. Jessica gives another amazing line. She says, I write for people who read. You stage your blood baths for tots who can't differentiate between uh, charades and the real world. Okay, period, point blank, period. Hang up the telephone, drop the mic, everything, 
she's done. So <laughs> he is so incredulous. She gets it. She was like, thank you for your time. Thank you for wasting my time. If you had read her books uh, and did any sort of research before you invited her, you would know that she's not that type of person, right? So she gets up to leave. She gets to the door. Horatio um, presses a button, which I think was like the tongue of some animal that was carved into his desk. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that I think that's what it was. So gross. And taking aside, those sculptures and the painting behind his desk were frightening. Okay, who designed his office? There's no kind of theme. They should have just made it into like the pit of hell to be. <laughs> Absolutely honest. But like, why even have stuff up there? It looked ridiculous. Anyway, so he bolts the door from his desk. She's like, excuse me? Um, she's like, you remind me. He's like, I'm not used to people telling me no. And she's like, oh, well, uh, they say that new uh, experiences opens the mind. I'm like, she is just right on it. And so and she was like, when he locks the door, she says, you remind, you're, you remind me of uh, a student I once had. When he didn't get his way, he would stomp his feet and throw a fit. Um, and he's like, I don't need your dime store psychobabble. She was like, well, then you need to unlock this door because my niece's husband, I love that she doesn't call him her nephew. Okay, she's like, my niece's husband. We ain't related like that. Um, my niece's husband is a detective um, and I have no problem having him file a detain, what, a forcible detainment charge against you if you don't let me go. To which Horatio unbolts the door because he at least knows that she is powerful. He probably does know that her nephew, uh, not her, sorry, not her nephew, her niece's husband is a lieutenant, a detective lieutenant with the police department. Um, because they found out where she was, like where he lived, which, okay, well, we find out who Michael is and uh, that's, he probably has some contacts. Anyway, so he probably knows that this is true. And besides the fact she's famous. So even if she didn't have a relative in the immediate area on the police force, she was going to have him arrested, embarrassed, thrown in jail because she's Jessica Beatrice Fletcher. Thank you. So um, she leaves once he unbolts the door. She leaves and uh, Horatio immediately gets on the phone and he says, Mickey, remember that name, Mickey, I'm going to need your special brand of research because to bring Miss, Mrs. Fletcher around. They're like, ooh, you ain't got no dirt on her, but okay. Um, so now uh, we're back in, we see a security guard. I, we, I don't know if we can identify which office this is, but we're downstairs at the park still in the uh, executive office suite. And we hear a gunshot to which 
uh, the security guard almost spills his coffee on himself and chokes on his coffee. He puts it down. Another security guard comes in. He's like, O'Brien, did you hear that? He says, yes, um, it sounds like it's coming out of Mr. Baldwin's office. So they walk in. They were in the hallway. They walk in to where Lori sits and says, what is he still doing here? Talking about Mr. Baldwin because the light is on in his office, although his door is closed. And it's like, well, if he's here, why isn't she here speaking about Lori? She doesn't leave until he leaves. So they go to check the door of Horatio's office and they find it locked, bolted from the inside. They use the phone at Lori's desk to call Carlson. Uh, he's still in the office. They said, oh, he usually works late, call Carlson. So they call him. He says, they say, we heard a gunshot coming out of uh, Mr. Baldwin's office. He says, oh my God, well, break down the door. Use the fire axe if you have to. Carlson says he's on his way. They don't wait for him, which is good because someone could be bleeding out there. They get the conveniently placed fire axe that is not even in a case, I don't believe. I think they just took it off the wall. Or if they did take it out of a case, it wasn't locked. They immediately got it uh, and start hacking at the door. Once they get the middle part of the door uh, broken out, uh, they can see Horatio laying on his desk, blood on the right side of his head. That's the side that's facing up and a firearm and a, a handgun in his hand, in his right hand. At this point, they walk in and they're like, oh my God, I think he's dead. And at this point, they hear Carlson, they turn around and he's stepping in the door saying, what happened? And they're like, Mr. Baldwin is dead. So at this point, we then go to... The next scene is at uh, Jessica's niece and her husband's home. And the niece picks up the phone. Jessica's making hamburgers for everyone, which I think is pretty cool. Like she is a house guest, but they're like, if you want to cook, go on and cook. And she was ready, willing and able to do it. So she's cooking up burgers. The father, Bert, is asking, hey, how did it go today? Whatever. To which Billy was like, someone got, they hung, they tried to hung, a, no, a guy got hung. To which Jessica was like, Billy, it's hanged. Uh, drapes get hung, people get hanged. I'm like, oh, okay, well, hopefully he never needs to know that in the rest of his life. Uh, so <laughs> then the phone rings, uh, Carol picks it up and it's for Bert. She says, it's headquarters. They want to speak with you. So he's like, whatever, whatever, whatever. He, he says, yes, yeah, she's here. They hang up the phone. Uh, he hangs up the phone. He's like, well, Horatio Baldwin is dead. And the chief, the captain wants Jessica to come down to the scene. She's like, what he want with me? It's like, well, they said he committed suicide. She was like, I met that man. He didn't kill himself at all. Thank you. That's a lie. Let's figure this out. <laughs> That's a lie. So <laughs> the captain also tells um, 
Bert, that Lori Bascom is missing um, and that he, the captain, believes that it was murder. So now they're back at Horatio's office and we meet the captain. Um, We will see this actor a number of times throughout the series. Um, Sometimes we like him. Sometimes we hate him. He's, He's fine in this one. This is closer to like him because of this. Now, he requested that Jessica come down to the scene because he believes that she can figure this out. He said that, you know, there, um, he was found, the door was bolted. She's like, yeah, I saw how formidable that was earlier today. He demonstrated it for me. Um, and, you know, there's no hidden doors. We've been looking for hours, etc. So she's like, well, then it couldn't have been anything other than a suicide. And he's the captain's like, yeah, but the medical examiner said that there is a, um, that he was hit on the back of the head. And that is probably what killed him and not the gunshot. So, um, yeah, and not the gunshot. So now it's like, well... You know, he says that, um, well, and he clearly has read her books. He says that, well, you write about, in your books, you make the impossible possible. So I need you to help figure this out. So this is a classic locked door mystery, right? Very Agatha Christie, uh, who's also a fave of mine. So, uh, she's like, I have no idea what, how I'm going to figure this out. Okay. You, you got a lot of faith in me, sir, but properly placed faith, I'll say. So now we're back at the house, uh, and Jessica is coming in from a jog. She picks up the newspaper that's on the porch on the front steps and she sees a picture of Lori and they say she's missing. And there's this murder mystery um, that they're looking into. So Jessica comes in because nobody locks their doors, apparently. The front door is just open. Uh, And I did not see anybody in the immediate area within the house. So, okay. And the husband is a police officer, is a detective, a lieutenant. He, they need to lock their doors. Anyway, so she calls to change her flight. Now, she wants a later flight to leave. And she wants a, to, a round trip. She wants to get a flight back the same day. So she's able to do that. Now, this is clearly, clearly, clearly before September 11th, 2001. Clearly. That you could call on the phone and change your flight, make your flight and or change your flight plans. No ID, no um, no confirmation uh, whatsoever. Just gave a name and a voice on the phone and was able to do this. Amazing. Uh, not safe, but amazing. <laughs> so now we're back at the theme park and we're in a tunnel. I guess this is, we find out the name is like the Tunnel of Terror or something to that effect. And there is a gigantic 
plastic replica of Horatio Baldwin's face. Okay, but the funniest part about this is <laughs> it has a receding hairline. Like, sir, you don't have to do that. <laughs> they didn't have to do him like that. They didn't have to do that. Just put hair on the sides and none on top. They didn't have to do that to him. <laughs> let it, let the plastic replica live a lie, okay? It's his theme park, you know, Honestly, they they didn't have to do him like that. <laughs> anyway, so Carlson and Niels Highlander are down there trying to fix the audio portion of this gigantic head because it it's going through its monologue and then the tape it sounds like the battery is dying <laughs> and or the tape is running out or something to that effect. So they're trying to work that out. Jessica comes and she's looking for Carlson. She says, oh, you're a hard guy, man to, to track down. And so um, she addresses Niels and she's like, oh, well, did you work out your problem? She was like, I don't, I don't have any problems, ma'am. You know, I, you know, things are fine. And then the phone rings and he says, oh, I've had my calls uh, forwarded to here. So... <laughs> I was like, okay, that is a clue. So he picks up the phone. They have a conversation and he's like, oh, these people are incompetent and leaves. To which she's talking to Carlson. She's like, uh, yesterday he was just, he's very upset. And today he has no problems. I don't think he wanted to talk about family business. I'll call it that family business in front of a stranger, but at the time, the he probably hadn't been able to pin uh, Horatio down. So this was the first opportunity and it was that important that although he probably would have never talked about family business in front of someone else, that it was imperative that he did. So now that's why he's like, oh, I don't have any problems. Everything's great because... In all honesty, it was none of Jessica's business uh, what the actual issue was, whether it was resolved or whatnot. In all honesty, it wasn't Jessica's business, so I understand his response. So she then gets around to asking Carlson, who does he think uh, could have killed Horatio? Because although he was behind a locked door... Um, based on the injuries, it doesn't appear that it was a suicide. So he says, well, other than him, um, there's his wife and bodyguard. He calls them Madam Dracula and the sleaze bag. Okay. Carlson's at 100 right now. And then popcorn vendors, uh, basically he gives a, a long list. Um, and just the shade of it all just, just rolls off his tongue. And she's probably thinking, why are you working for this hard man? <laughs> well, now you're not cause he's dead. So, but your new boss is going to be Madam Dracula. So <laughs> watch your mouth. Right? <laughs> anyway. So then he says, Carlson says another one of my favorite lines. This one had a lot of good one, two liners. He says, beneath the Santa Claus 
smile beats the heart of a sewer rat. Now, if that is not the ultimate disrespect, <laughs> then I don't know what is. That he seemed like a horrible man. Like I'm not even good. I'm not even debating that. Horatio was terrible. But this this was deep. Okay. <laughs> this is some deep hatred right here. Anyway, so now we're at the airport with Jessica. She doesn't even have an overnight bag. She has her purse because she's expecting to go to do whatever interview she has to do and then fly back the same night. So we see a sky cap, with, it appears to be a, a sky cap, who's like, oh, I, your flight is leaving out of a different gate. You know, there's constructions, da, 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 da. She's like, yeah, no, I'm going to speak with someone at the desk, okay? As she's trying to head over to the desk, uh, Michael Gardner's standing there and he says, um, can you please, there's someone who would like to meet you. And she's like, yeah, I have a flight to catch. It's like, well, your arrangements have been changed. And she's like, uh, excuse me? And he then opens up his suit jacket to display a gun. She's like, a gun? Is that really necessary? So she's like, I guess I'm following him. I'm not about to get shot in the airport. Um, so she gets on the plane. She's like, why have you brought me here at, you know, <laughs> this firearm? To which the chair turns around and it's Erica Baldwin. And this is obviously their, her private jet. And um, she's like, well, you'll be riding with me to whatever city. So I don't actually, I don't think they're in California. They may be in, I want to say she said Kansas City. So whatever, wherever she's going uh, within the state, I'm guessing. Um, and so Erica, she, she was like, why have I been shanghai here? And so she was like, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, we're going to take you where you want to go. I just have some, I wanted to meet you. I got a, some business to deal with. <laughs> so she's like, well, I'm Erica Baldwin. She was like, yeah, my niece's husband has been filling me in on you. A former, a once showgirl, now the world's wealthiest widow, um, due to the untimely death of three, now four husbands. Now, now, okay. She, I don't know how old she is supposed to be in, in this. I am going to assume, well, she says untimely death. So I, I can't necessarily assume that her previous three husbands were old. Uh, they were obviously very wealthy, but Horatio was wealthy. He wasn't old. Um, but you know, she is a beautiful woman she has a very like, like a very sexy voice too. So I think her showing interest in Horatio, he was just like, I guess I should have a wife. Um, who knows what number wife she was for him, but I should have a wife. Okay, let's, let's go. You know, <laughs> you're interested? Let's do this. So you obviously have no standards. Um, like basically the police think that it was murder and she's like, what about you? Erica, she's like, listen, I'm not helping the police. Technically I am, but for real, no. Uh, what do you want from me? And she's like, listen, I want ready cash. And 
uh, Horatio has a lot of stuff mortgaged at this point, but he has, he, 11 months ago, he took out a life insurance policy for $2 million. And Jessica says, and it has a clause that it doesn't get paid out if he commits suicide. She's like, exactly. So I need you to prove the impossible that this was murder so I can get this $2 million. My question is if she has whatever inheritance from three previous husbands, why does she need this $2 million so quick? (laughs) I, I don't know why she as a world's wealthiest widow would need $2 million just on deck. And in 1984, that was a lot, a lot of money. It's a lot of money now, but it was a lot, a lot of money (laughs) in 1984. So I'm like, uh, is the private jet on lease or something? Like, do you not actually own anything? Uh, Is all your money in stocks? So you don't have, you're not liquid. Maybe that's it. But um, Jessica kind of puts two and two together and it's like, oh, Michael must really care for you if he's willing to bring me here at gunpoint. And so Erica says, well, for the past two years, Horatio has chosen to be celibate. Um, but uh, thanks to Michael, I have not. So, <laughs> but, oh, okay. Um, too much information, but I did really ask a question. So that was the, I can't complain about the answer I got. So (laughs) they're clearly having an affair and I'm guessing Horatio was just focused on um, this park coming together and opening it because maybe that's why the two years he, he's been focused on for the two years. Um, But you know, that, that doesn't look great for Michael. Now, this really doesn't necessarily look bad for Erica because he was probably worth more to her alive because she doesn't have to sleep with him and she gets access to all his money. This is the perfect situation for her. So there's no reason to for him to get for her to kill him or arrange for him to be killed because then she only gets this two million dollars like and that's it. You know, she's not going to marry Michael. Michael ain't got no money. So (laughs) that ain't going to happen. Now she would be in a worse position with him dead. Uh, So, but Michael could have been jealous and kill him because he's someone who would have much more access to him than anybody else. And he would be the last person Horatio would suspect of doing anything. So, um, yeah, it doesn't look good for Michael with this additional information that the two of them were sleeping together. So the next scene, we see Jessica, she's back at the house, at her niece's house, and the door is actually locked. Oh my God. (laughs) She's at the, she's trying the doorknob and the niece comes up and is like, oh my gosh, Jessica, we've been so worried about you. And she was like, oh, I was trying to call from the airport. Well, who was on the phone? <laughs> like, who was on the phone? Y'all worried about her? I guess they were calling around to find her while she was trying to call them to let her let them know that she had landed and she was on her way. But um, 
Lori is there and she immediately admits to killing Horatio. And, and then of course it goes on commercial on the, the TV version. And we come back and Jessica's like, okay, calm down. Let's start from the beginning. So she was like, let me guess. Um, you and Horatio had a knockdown drag out fight and you left. She's like, oh, it was terrible, Mrs. Fletcher. He then goes to threatening to reveal certain things from Lori's past and they get into it and then he fires her. So she takes her stuff and she gets out. She says, I left at quarter to seven. So 6.45 p.m. Now, I'm sitting here thinking, looking at Lori, right? She's just a very nice, uh, nice, meek, I want to say, woman, like keeps herself well put together, just wants to do her job, do it well. You know, obviously used to a high stress situation because Horatio was crazy. Um, So what was in her past that would be embarrassing to get out? And you know what? I think it's probably something that most people would not have cared if it got out. Like, I think it's something that she personally thinks is embarrassing. Now, granted, she could have murdered someone under a different name. Okay, I could be completely fooled. She could have murdered somebody under a different name. He found out through his sources, which we we find out in two seconds. Um, Or it could just be something simple, like she cheated on a test or, you know, uh, skipped a line. She seems like the type that if they found out something really minor but threatened to expose her, quote unquote, expose her and tell others about it, that she would be too ashamed to go on. So it's either something really minor or she murdered somebody. So (laughs) it could be either one. Anyway, so Lori tells us that um, he has, Horatio, has information on all of his top people, Carlson, uh, Arnold Megram, um, and Michael. So that's why they stay. Like basically he threatens to blackmail them now that he has this information. So our next scene, we're at the park, back at the theme park, down in the offices. And Jessica is looking, is just all over the desk. She's under the desk at one point and Carlson comes in. And he's like, um, what, what are you guys looking for? You've been, you know, looking for hours. There's no hot, there's no, uh, hidden doors or anything. It's like, yeah, we're looking for a cubby hole. Um, because Horatio had blackmail, had information on everybody. And he, it's most likely because of all the security he had it in his office. So Jessica they said, yeah. And so, you know, it was Jessica's idea. So the captain and uh, Bert, the detective lieutenant, turns and looks and Jessica's gone. And they're like, Jessica, Jessica. And she pops up from under the desk and she says, what's the temperature in here? To which Carlson says, and even 65, it's, 
it's controlled, you know, it's not individually controlled, however he put it. So she's like, why would you need a thermometer in your office? They're like, what do you mean? There was one on the desk, which is also a dead giveaway. Like, why would there be a thermometer on a desk? Okay. (laughs) On a desk. Anyway, so it was facing Horatio. So people might not have noticed. He doesn't look like the type that has people behind his desk at all, period. So people might not have known that it was a thermometer, you know, per se. And she's like, well, look at this. And they're like, well, what's that? And she says, it's soot. So then there are matches just there, right? So she lights a match. She puts it up to the thermometer. It rises up. And she says he was such a gadgeteer that, you know, this is probably what he used to hide the blackmail information. So once it the thermometer hit 100, um, uh, the desk, I, I could not tell if the desk moved or if a drawer just popped out of the desk. But either way, it was a small drawer uh, that was now visible and it was empty. And so Bert is like, it's empty. Definitely had to be murder. The murderer must have gotten it. To which Carlson says, oh, I'm a lousy audience for fairy tales. You know, that you still can't, um, how did the murderer get out of a a bolted door and however much concrete, whatever, whatever. So he walks out and um, (laughs) he's like, well, for a person whose career is steeped in illusion, (laughs) I love the way she says it too, steeped in illusion. Uh, He's not a very, you know, creative thinker. So now we're back at the airport. Now, I don't know if this is the same airport, probably. And we're just seeing a different angle of it. And so Arnold Megram is there. He has a first class ticket to Mexico. He has one small, like it's a large briefcase or a small suitcase, which are the same size. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, the woman is uh, printing out his ticket. She hits the alarm to which we see in the back room um, a security guard drinking his coffee, gets the alert that the guy they're looking for is here, puts the coffee down, they go out. Arnold's like, oh no, I'll carry this. Um, Can you hurry up? I got to get on my plane. And so then he turns around, I guess, to leave because he's like, the jig is up. So uh, he then sees the security guards. He takes off running out the door he then trips over um, a, uh, it's not a speed bump, but you know, those concrete things in the parking lot for cars to drive up to, um, to identify the, and I guess the front of a space, which I'm like, the way this airport is set up, why is that even there? Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's kind of just like randomly there, but I guess to move the story along. So he trips, he drops the briefcase suitcase situation. It flies open and money is everywhere. So people are just like, oh, and they're picking up the money. And he's like, it's my money. It's my money. So then we're next in the police station in Bert's office. 
And he says $110,000. And he's like, this is everything I've ever worked for. This is, you know, all of my savings, whatever, whatever. And I'm thinking, well, I guess in 1984, people were much more willing to listen to the police and hand the money over because... um, I remember that, uh, what was it? I think it was like a Brinks truck or something in Georgia. Uh, There was just money pouring out of the back of it for whatever reason. The door wasn't latched right, whatever. And people were like pulling over on the highway to collect the money. And they only got a portion of that money back. And they're like, we'll find out. They're like, you ain't going to find out who I am who took this money. Y'all ain't got the serial numbers on these dollars, 10s, 50s, and 20s. So (laughs) only a small amount of Good Samaritans actually turned money in. They may not have turned in all of the money that they picked up, but enough that they didn't look suspicious and they could spend whatever they kept, you know. (laughs) They wasn't handing out finder's fees, so you, you make your own. Anyway, so... Uh, we find out that the dirt that he had, that Horatio had on Arnold was that he embezzled in his previous job. And he said, actually, I wasn't the one who embezzled, but it was, and I think he gave her name, who was a coworker of mine. Well, more than a coworker. So I'm guessing more than a coworker, less than a girlfriend, but enough of a connection that you were also arrested when she was caught embezzling or you took the charge for her even worse. Um, He said that he got, so they asked like, why were you um, leaving? And so he said, I got a call. The voice was disguised. um, And they told me that the police had the files, which he obviously believed were the blackmail files from Horatio because he, I'm sure he heard also that the files were missing. The uh, Bert says, well, the police, we got an anonymous call telling us to go to the airport and check your bags, check your luggage. So, you know, obviously there's someone uh, pulling the strings in this situation. So, uh, they let him go. He's like, can I go home now? I'm, I'm concerned about my cat. Like my landlord is watching her, but I, I I'm really concerned. So my, <laughs> wait a second. So you were about to fly on a one way trip to Mexico first class too. I'm just going to assume that that was the only seat available at that last minute. I won't judge him about not getting a economy ticket, but whatever it is. From whatever state they're going, they're in to Mexico. He got the money, I guess. But you were going to go on a one-way trip to Mexico. How long were you going to be in Mexico? Were you going to just bury the cash somewhere and then come back? Maybe that was his plan. Maybe he was going to go there to hide the cash and then come, which is not safe, but and then come back because he was concerned about his cat that the landlord was watching. So you weren't going to permanently move to Mexico or were you going to, you couldn't have been on the run because then you can call your landlord back and tell him or her to ship your cat. You know, God knows how much that would have cost. Anyway, 
he wasn't serious about this. He didn't think this all the way through. I think he just got scared and was going to run and then figure it out once he, he was safe, I guess. So now we have the files, right? Um, I don't know where we got them from. I don't think they say how we got the files, the blackmail files. Um, so now Bert has them and Jessica has reviewed them. And it says that Carlson fled to Canada to avoid the draft. And to which they were both like, that's not really that bad. Like for you to be beholden to this horrible person, you know? Um, so that, that's also, uh, ticks off another box of suspicion for towards Carlson. And we don't know what Lori's secret is. They, they don't say. We don't know what Neil's uh, secret is. But I'm thinking like maybe he had like uh, a safety violation or something like that that was maybe covered up. And like now he's super, you know, maybe this is a, a fictitious name too because Neil's Highlander, let's be honest. But maybe that was it. And that's why he wants to be super, um, uh, he wants to make sure that the safety is up to snuff because maybe he didn't do that in a previous job and someone died. I'm 100% speculating here. 100%. They give us no information. And we find, we already know that Arnold embezzled. Um, We don't, they said, well, someone's, file is conveniently missing. The very next scene, we uh, are in an apartment and we hear a cat meowing. We then see Michael come out of um, an apartment, out of his bedroom. And he's like, how did a cat get up here? Like, what in the world is going on? And so he goes out onto the balcony where he believes the, the sound is coming from. And he then finds a tape recorder. He picks it up. He's like, what is this? He, he turns it off. No, he, he picks it up. He says, what in the world is this? Suddenly, somebody dressed all in black comes out from the corner of the balcony. And although they are clearly smaller than Michael, they then like throw him, like get, basically like lift him up over the side of the balcony and like throw them over and of course they have a, a a dummy falling all the way to the ground uh thankfully we don't see him on the ground we just see him falling and he he lives on like the 18th floor of this building okay you can't tell me that if you heard a cat at one a freaking clock in the morning <laughs> on the 18th floor that you will go out looking. I would personally think it was a setup. Now we find out who he is, right? We find out his real identity and a a little bit of information in like two seconds, right? In the very next scene. So you of all people, okay, should have been suspicious. Now, if it were me, uh, it, it is a bit different because I am a lady so if it was me living alone and I heard a cat on my balcony, you better believe I would just turn on the TV. 
Like I would literally turn on the TV and turn over because you know what? It's none of my business because I am not going to deal if it was actually a cat that somehow made it up to the 18th floor. I don't know if it's the 18th floor, but it was super high. Made it up to the 18th floor. You know what? That cat is probably extremely scared and pissed off. So you know what happens when you then try to pick up a cat who is scared and or pissed off? They scratch you. So this is none of my business. I am not trying to be attacked by this cat that has now found its way to the 18th floor. Because you know what? It will find its way off of the 18th floor, however it found its way, onto the 18th floor. So I would have just turned my TV on, or if he didn't have a TV in the bedroom, I would have turned my radio on and ignored it. That's what I would have done, but that's just me. And probably 99% of the other people would have been like, you know what? Uh, Now, if you had a cat, that is different. Because you would then go to see, oh my God, how did the cat get out on the balcony? Oh my, I got to get it off the balcony because he or she could fall. This, you know, then completely different. Then you definitely go to check it out to make sure it is not your cat that is on the balcony. But if I didn't own a cat, I surely would have been like, I'm not about to get scratched up. This is none of my business. Uh, perhaps the cat will calm down. If the owner comes looking for it, then the owner can go and deal with it. But you know who's not going to deal with it? Me. I'm going back to sleep. And you know what? I would have survived. Anyway, so (laughs) this means that uh, since the next scene was Michael's apartment, we know that there was no blackmail file for Michael. So basically making it look more so that Michael is the killer. He obviously isn't because he was murdered and the show is not over yet. So (laughs) he clearly didn't do it. Um, Although we did have a murderer who did themselves get murdered uh, in It's a Dog's Life, but not, not what happened here. So the next scene, we are at uh, Bert and Carol's house, uh, Jessica's niece and her husband. And so Bert is telling us that Michael was actually Mickey Baumgartner. Now, if you remember in the beginning, when Jessica leaves uh, Horatio's office after he tries to lock, after he actually locks her in for a few moments, um, he then immediately call, makes a call and he speaks to Mickey. So now we know that he was speaking to Michael Gardner, uh, whose real name is Mickey Baumgartner. And we find out from Bert that he is a former um, private investigator and that he was the one who got collected all of the blackmail information. So this probably means that he didn't have a file, not because... um, he, because he wouldn't have put a, done a file on himself, there wasn't a need to blackmail him. And not for nothing, it's because he was sleeping with the boss's wife. So, and probably making a lot of money. So he had no reason 
to need to be blackmailed to stay on this job. Uh, So that's another reason, that's an alternative reason as to why there wasn't a blackmail file on Michael slash Mickey. Not that he took it after killing Horatio in case it was found, the other files were found, uh, or to continue blackmailing the other people, but because there never was one, because there was never a need for one. So now we are, uh, I think it's the next day. We, time means nothing, and nothing in this episode. <laughs> um, Jessica and uh, the security guard, well, actually, Jessica is in going between Lori's office and Horatio's office. And the security guard comes up and like, oh, hi, Miss Fletcher. You know, how are you doing? You know, this is a really baffling case. You know, oh, this is crazy. And so I hadn't realized it until this very scene. When he picks, when he says that he's Ned O'Brien, right? When he picks up the phone, he says O'Brien security. So he is the actual owner of the security uh team, you know, uh, now, well, true. It could be a family business, but Horatio seems like the type that he would have the owner of the security (laughs) guards, uh, business actually doing security for him. So it probably is Ned O'Brien is probably the O'Brien of O'Brien's security. Anyway, so, Bert was talking to his wife and they were going back and forth, just chit-chatting. He's like, oh, where is Jessica? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Bert reveals that um, Mickey slash Michael was trying to get dirt on uh, Carol's aunt, Jessica. He was like, what? Was his next person, was his next person the Pope? And they were like, probably, ha, 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 ha. Actually, where is Jessica. And so at that point, we then go to uh, Horatio slash Lori's office and we see Jessica looking around. Uh, And then the security guard, Ned O'Brien of O'Brien Security, come in and check in on her. Then Bert calls. Well, the phone rings. Ned picks up. He says, O'Brien Security, you know, whatever, whatever. And we find out it's Bert. And so Jessica says, Ned tells her, you can pick up the phone in there, meaning Horatio's office where she, she's looking around. So none of the buttons are lit on that phone. No, I'm sorry. It's not ringing, but I think the lights were on on Horatio's phone. So she picks up and we only hear her side of the uh, conversation uh, she was like, okay, fine, I'm leaving, and hangs up the phone. I'm like, are you outside the park waiting for me? Because now I got to take a taxi from here. I'm going to finish my business, and then I'll go. I, I got I to solve this murder for you. You're welcome, but whatever. So, <laughs> so, you know, I guess it's a safety thing, but she's like, the security guard is right here. Like, I'm fine. It's, it's fine. So um, Jessica then... Um, opens the back of the phone and um, she looks and she sees that there's a wire disconnected. Now, I have no clue what that means. Apparently, 
Jessica Fletcher does. Jessica says, well, 9-8 and 9-9 go to both of these offices. Yes. If someone, if 9-8 calls 9-9, this button will light up. Yes. And vice versa, whatever. So he's, Ned's like, I don't understand what this is all about. (laughs) She's like, do me a favor. Go into Horatio's office um, and I'm going to call you from here. So she calls uh, from one number to the other number, the 98 to 99 or 99 to 98. And Ned says, the phone's not ringing in here. She's like, I know, pick it up. So he picks up. He's like, hello? She's like, hi, Ned. Um, he's like, I don't understand what's going on. He was. She's like, don't you worry about it. Don't you worry your pretty little head. I figured it out. So he hangs up. The next scene, we are in Carlson's office and he is continuing to work on whatever project he has on his drawing table. And Ned comes in and he gives him a message and says, this is from Jessica. She um, is at her niece's home. She asked for you to call. It's very important. So um, Carlson then picks up the phone in his office and calls the number. And she's like, hello. He's like, hello. It's like, uh, what? Like, like nobody else is going to call. Like, I understand that she should be expecting his call, but normal people are like, hi, Mrs. Hi, is this Mrs. Fletcher? Yes. Hi, this is Philip Carlson from, you know, whatever to do, you know? So it's like, hello, hello. Uh, this is Phil Carlson. Oh, hey. Like, have you never spoken on a phone before? Anyway, so Jessica's like, well, uh, we found the police found out that Gardner had files, the blackmail files on microfilm. And so blah, 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 blah. Um, but I think we both know where it is of uh, an attraction that hasn't been working quite right. Uh, she was like, you know what I mean? He's like, yes. It's like, well, how about um, I meet you in the Tunnel of Horrors um, in about 40 minutes. I'm across town and that's how long it's going to take me to get there. Fine. So now um, the next scene, we're in the Tunnel of Horrors and that gigantic um, replica of (laughs) of uh, Horrible Horatio's face. Um, with makeup on it, just, just so you know, anyway, um, some rouge on the cheeks, you know, um, (laughs) some random and kind of green under the eyes. Like maybe that's what he was looking for. So, okay, listen, anyway, so, uh, Carlson comes down and he opens the face to get to the electronics. He then pulls something out. I'm guessing that's microfilm. I've seen microfilm before, okay, in the 90s. So it looked very different in the 90s than apparently what he pulled out of there. I've been to libraries where we had stuff on microfilm, microfiche as well. Um, So I'm familiar with it. It's not a strange concept to me, but I have never seen microfilm that looked like that. So I'm guessing by the 90s, it was just larger because things tend to get larger, (laughs) But technology gets smaller, right? Um, 
So anyway, he grabs it and he's like, success. He doesn't say that, but you can see that on his face. Um, so then Jessica is like down the hall in the opposite direction from the entrance. And she's like, oh, Mr. Carlson, I see you found our prize. And so he's like, oh, Mrs. Fletcher, you scared me. I thought that you were across town at your niece's house. I just spoke with you. Uh, yeah. And then immediately came down here to try to destroy evidence. So um, anyway, so there's some talking back and forth. And she's like, yeah, so because um, you're the one who murdered uh, Horatio. It's like, how, why? Why? Huh, what? Excuse? Huh? No, no. Yes, no, no. <laughs> he was like, I think the jig is up, but let me ride this out, right? So she said, your motive was he probably reneged on your promotion to vice president. Um, and that when we saw, when we got the files, we saw that yours was not really incriminating. So the killer would have replaced their own file with something less incriminating. They would not have taken their file completely like he was trying to allude to with Michael um, and that file being missing. So, um, and he had to kill Gardner because he was the only one who knew what was actually in the file. So if the police went to speak with Michael about, oh, well, it says Carlson ran to, uh, fled to Canada to avoid the um, the draft, Gardner would have said and probably had his own copies of the file to be absolutely honest. You know, if he was a private eye, he had insurance. He probably had dirt on Horatio as well, but we won't talk about that anyway. So <laughs> that's also probably why he didn't have a blackmail file because he didn't need, you know, as to Horatio and uh, having Michael's file slash Mickey, but Mickey slash Michael probably had a file on Horatio. And that is how he, A, kept his job when he's sleeping with uh, his boss's wife. And, you know, he got to use the limo when he wanted to because Horatio sent him out there in the limo by himself. So I think Horatio probably treated him the best out of all of them because he probably had dirt on Horatio. Anyway, that wasn't discussed, but you know that's a fact. Then Carlson is like, well, you know, I've already killed two people. I could kill another person, da, da, da. But I'm like, wait a second. You know what? Horatio was famous. He was, but he was very disliked. Jessica Beatrice Fletcher is world renowned. How do you think that you were going to kill her in this tunnel of horror and you're not going to be arrested, okay? My other question is, why are there not cameras down here? Okay, I'm really disturbed by this. You have all of this secrecy. You're down here in this concrete and however many stories down in the ground, soundproof and all this security stuff. But you don't have security cameras, obviously not in his office. They don't have to have audio because you definitely don't want people to hear if it got in the wrong hands. 
but at least outside to see who's coming into your office or to watch people as they're waiting to get into your office. Like that, that was a failure on Horatio's part uh, to not have that additional, you have security guards, but to not actually have security cameras. Yeah, no, they had a remote car last week. Okay. (laughs) So I know they had security cameras for this company to purchase. I'm getting back to the story. (laughs) So uh, Carlson then pulls out a gun because of course, when you rush out to get uh, incriminating evidence, um, you bring a gun because obviously he intended to kill Jessica, whether he revealed that he found the microfilm or not, he was planning to kill Jessica, uh, regardless, because she knew that it existed. And so if it popped up missing, then they would put two and two together and get Carlson being the one who at least stole the microfilm. He then pulls out the gun and he shoots at her. Like, (laughs) <laughs> not a threat or nothing. He's like, yeah, I've killed two people. I'm, I'm, I'm in too deep. It's fine. And I'll get away with this too. And shoots her. Now, like glass just breaks with her image on it. And the space behind it is empty. So then he's, he's in shock. Then he hears, drop the weapon, drop the gun. And he turns around and there's a police officer and Bert. I think uh, uh, Niels is there and uh, and who else is there? I think there might be other police officers there too. So they grab his gun and Jessica steps out from the side and says, Niels, your, um, your illusion worked perfectly. And um, so he's like, yes, thank you. Thankfully it worked. Uh, he knew it was going to work. Because he's Neil's Hotlander. Okay. (laughs) And so Carlson's like, well, how did you know um, about the film? And she's like, this? Oh, (laughs) this is just a roll of negatives from my trip last year to Spain. (laughs) You moron. He didn't, she, she, of course, didn't say that. I'm saying that. So (laughs) she's like, the fact that she laughed in this man's face is so disrespectfully delicious. I love it. So now we're in the office, uh, in Horatio's office for the big reveal. She allows her niece's husband, Bert, to do it. She's like, this is your job. I'm just a writer and author, world renowned. I actually figured it out, but I'll let you have your moment. Okay, so Bird says that Carlson and Bolt and Horatio got into an argument. It must have been over Horatio um, reneging on the VP position, as Arnold said that he would, and um, it got went from the hallway into the office, and there was a struggle, and either uh, Horatio fell and hit his head or Carlson pushed him and he hit his head. Um, At that point, Carlson, realizing that he was the only one there that late at night, other than the security guards, uh, he had to set the scene. Uh, 
So Carlson goes, gets a gun from his office. Um, he then has his, while he's in his office, he programs his phone to forward his calls to Horatio's office. He also is um, wearing dark clothes. So he then returns to Lori's office outside of Horatio's office. He disconnects the light bulb for the second line in on Lori's phone. He then goes back into Horatio's office. He disconnects Horatio's ringer. At this point, he then, which I don't know how he physically, this is physically possible, but okay. He then gets Horatio up into his chair, sets him up on, lays him down on the desk, his head down on the desk. He then puts the gun in Horatio's right hand, puts it up to his head, fires, and the scene is set. He then pulls up the turtleneck of his black sweater and hides in a corner. No, I'm sorry. And after he fires the shot, um, the security guard, as he expected, calls him. But now his calls are forwarded to Horatio's phone, so he picks up in Horatio's office. Now, I'm guessing that they're soundproofing, and that's why the other security guard can't hear uh, Carlson speaking from Horatio's office, um, or even Ned, who was on the phone with him. So when the security guards hang up, that's when Carlson pulls up the turtleneck of his uh, sweater and goes and hides in a corner by the door. When the security guards walk in, he then sneaks out, takes off his sweater, revealing his white business shirt, uh, button-up shirt underneath, and he comes in from the hallway announcing himself. The guards never noticed him because they were so focused on the fact that Horatio was basically on his desk dead um, and with a gun in his hand. So it was a simple misdirection is how Bert characterizes it. Now, we know how he killed Horatio, whether it's um, intentional. Uh, it definitely wasn't premeditated, I'm sure, because uh, this set of circumstances really was not premeditated. But what I noticed is that Carlson must have had at least two guns because there's one that he put in Horatio's hand that he had to leave there, obviously, because if he committed suicide, the gun would still be in his hand, right? And he was smart enough to know that um, one, uh, gunpowder, uh, and two, fingerprints, which are actually very difficult to get off a gun, but that's separate and apart. So um, he knew to set that up and he had to leave the gun there. So that's obviously in police custody. But this means he had another gun because as you can remember, just in the last scene where he pulls out a second gun to then um, murder Jessica. <laughs> so why would he just have at work two guns? Like, why does he have two guns in his desk at work? <laughs> Did he replace the other one? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, you know, the police got that gun. 
And obviously it has to be unregistered because I would assume that once the captain and Bert came to the conclusion that this had to be murder, that they would check the registration on the gun. I think they would have done that anyway. So I'm going to assume that at least the gun that he used to shoot Horatio uh, was unregistered, or at least it didn't come back to him. Uh, But he had another gun just ready, willing, and able just on deck (laughs) to replace the one that he used in this uh, fake suicide. Also, what I notice is now we're going into the last scene where Jessica is leaving, and we'll get to that in a second, but nobody discusses <laughs> Michael slash Mickey's death. Like, nobody discusses his murder. Like, uh, you know, it's just not even mentioned again. Like, obviously, Jessica says, well, you had to murder him because he's the only one who knew the facts. But, like, that's the last we hear of him. He gets thrown off a balcony. There's one reference to him in passing, and that's it. Like, that is it. You know, <laughs> we start off the show with him and then he's just dead and that's it. Like that, that is it. That murder was clearly intentional. So Carlson should be going away for a very long time based on that one to cover up the uh, unintentional uh, murder of Horatio. Anyway, so... Now, this is the last scene. We're at the airport. Jessica's leaving. Bert is there. I'm guessing he drove her. And Lori's there. And she's very thankful. And so Jessica's like, this is the perfect time to start that book. And she, Lori's like, um, okay, not everybody is a millionaire like you. Okay. <laughs> I have to think about paying bills. I don't have a job anymore. I have to think about bills and where I'm going to live and just life you know, how I'm going to eat every day. So Jessica said, oh, those are trivial things. <laughs> yes, because I'm a millionaire. It's trivial. But because, of course, Jessica is Jessica, she says, you know what? Considering how much, how shabbily um, Horatio uh, treated you, I have this little check from Erica Baldwin. She gave it to me and I have no idea why. You know why, Jessica, but whatever. Details, details. Um, so I'm going to give it to you. You know, basically you deserve it from, for having to deal with that man for all of these years. And so she gives it to her in an envelope. She's like, it's already signed over to you. You can't give it back. It's yours. So Jessica walks to the, the jetway, I'm guessing. She turns around, Lori opens the envelope and looks at the check. I'm assuming it's a hundred thousand dollars, the amount that, um, Erica had mentioned earlier. Um, And so she's just, this is probably the most money that Lori has ever seen in ever. So she's just like, oh my God, she's just taken away, which was really nice to see that Jessica was able to do this for her. Her niece's husband, Bert, was like, his mind was blown as well. I'm sure he's never seen that type of money all at once, you know? (laughs) Maybe when they bought the house, like maybe, maybe when they bought the house, they saw a very large check, but you know, not just the individual, you know? (laughs) So, um, you know, I hope that Jessica left them some money. Just, I'm just saying, I'm not hating. 
I'm not saying he's jealous, but I would be giving a little side eye like, did y'all, did you leave an envelope for me and my two kids and wife? <laughs> anyway, so um, Jessica uh, waves and, and of course we have the freeze frame of her smiling and waving. So it was a really great thing that she did and Lori definitely deserved it. So that is the end of the episode. Another great one. Another one, like I said, that is on my DVR. I watch frequently um, every time I get a chance. So next week we will be, I will be reviewing Death Takes a Curtain Call. It's not on my DVD, but we'll go through it. I don't remember if I like it or I don't like it. We'll find out together. All right. Okay, so I will see you guys next week right here on this podcast. Or if you want early access, you can go to Patreon and look up just me being dramatic. And you can get early access to the next episode as well as all of the previous episodes and early access going forward each week. And over there at the end of this month, December 2020, I will be doing a book review for the second tier of Murder, She Wrote, the first novel, Gin and Daggers by Jessica Fletcher and Donald Bain. So I will see you over there or I will see you right here on whichever podcast format you are listening to. I will talk to you guys later. Bye.